Hey, um, I'll tell you something that I hope, um, man, it's been hitting my soul uh, for a while now. Um, but, you know, I used to kind of be if, um, by the way, I'm going to dismiss the kids, don't worry, it's coming. I didn't forget yet, but I may forget in a minute. Um, you know, there's something that I am still so thankful for the COVID time when it was me and five people in here, you know. Uh, I'm thankful for that time because it made me realize that I can't ever accept the excuse of, well, we just couldn't make it today, right? Like I used to, used to be kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, week's busy, I get it, or, you know, well, my kid has gymnastics on, you know, we can't be at church. My kid, you know, has got, you know, has got baseball. I used to kind of be like, yeah, you know, it happens like that sometimes, but, but I already knew from the Word of God that Sunday, the first day of the week, ever since the resurrection, that's when blood-bought Christians met. And I realized way before, I already knew that that was something kind of sacred and should be honored. But it seems like the busyness, this mic is not cooperating with me. Can you tell that? Okay, hold on. Give me one second. What is going on? Okay, here we go. Okay, let's try that again. How's that? That good enough? That I saw what happened to people's faith when they didn't get to come to church with a body. And then in the midst of that, I'll tell you what happened to my soul. I had this idea for years of like, hey, when we come on Sundays, we're going to eat a meal together. We're going to edify each other. We're going to, I mean, I had this idea, but I was always afraid to do it because I was afraid to basically drive people off. It wouldn't make visitors want to stay. And during that time of COVID, basically, I started to understand, like, it is so essential that even church, even when we get back from COVID, I don't want it to look like the same thing as you go to a movie theater where you get come in, sit down, see a show and leave. You haven't really been to church if you haven't been with God's people. That involves preaching, praying, edify, taking communion. It's a whole, it's meeting with family. And when you read in the scriptures, even the early church, when they met, guess what they did? They preached, they prayed, they sang, they ate together, they took communion together, they edified the body together. I can tell you this, you're in the best place you could be on a Sunday And I'm telling you this, for 2023, set a course in all of our lives. I mean, sometimes if you're out of town, that happens. If you're sick, that happens. But you'll be with God's people on a Sunday morning. And I'm telling you, I'm not saying that for some, oh, I want to preach to more people. Because I tell you what, it wasn't bad preaching to five people. In fact, someone told me I preach better to five people, you know, with just the camera than I did with everybody in the room. Honestly, it's less distraction, right? It's not that. It's not for pride. It's for the health and benefit of of the body of Christ. And so I want to encourage you. You know there's a storm coming in 2023 for you. There'll be all sorts of reasons that you can't be with God's people. Um, and, you know, unless there is something providential, don't let it stop you from being with God's people, right? That even means like if a family member is sick, but the rest aren't, get up and come to church, right? The, here's what we do. We use the flimsiest excuses to not be in God's house. We do. But we won't use it for anything else during the week. Have y'all noticed that? I mean, like, man, we'll still get up and do everything else. So make 2023 something different for our souls. I promise you, if you give yourself 
full on to the gatherings of Carville Bible Church on a Sunday, I'm confident that God's Spirit will work in your life. I can tell you this last year, 2022, I enjoyed church more than I ever have. Starting to go, started going to church at 15, believer by 16. At 19, started working at a church. <laughs> Been doing this a long time. I have never enjoyed meeting with the church body like I have this last year. And it all has been a result of, man, I'll, I'll clap for that. I've, man, I'm telling you, and here's why. There was something in my soul that I couldn't take it anymore. I could not take this idea of we come, we preach, we pray, and then we dart out the door. I just couldn't take it anymore. But now it's like I get fed by our body. Like I'm being edified by the body. Like, I, I just want you to understand, we need you to edify the body. And you know, I'm hoping in 2023, there is kind of a, almost a core group of us that would grab the mic over our family meal, right, Tom, right? And praise God for all of us that are the kind of the core, like, man, we've got something to edify with. But let me challenge you this year. Let me challenge you. If you've not gotten up yet to edify the church body with something that God has done in your life, I want you to make it a kind of a, Go that you'll do it sometime in 2023. Now, here's the deal. If God's done nothing in your life, then don't do it. Don't, don't manufacture something. But if God has worked in your life and he's doing something, God's people need to hear it. And I'm telling you. I mean, I preach. When you total up how many hours of preaching and, and everything going in these sermons and stuff, I'm telling you. There is something profound the Holy Spirit has used during our edified times. My most memorable times in 2023 have not been the sermons I researched, right? Have not been the sermons I preached. Has been hearing how God is working through God's people and the covenant body of Collierville Bible Church. Y'all get it? Man, I'm excited for 2023. I hope you are. I hope gathering with the body becomes something that you pattern your whole weekend around. Like we go to bed at a decent time. We prep our meals on, on Saturday. Like we're doing the best we can. We are gathering. We are excited to be here. Okay, that's enough about that. All right. Are y'all so glad to be here? Yes. And glad to see y'all. Okay, we're, before I dismiss the kids, I just want to do something because I'm going to refer to it and I want you to kind of see what it looks like. Okay, Kids Club, that's the, we, we did change the age brackets. Where's Corey at? We changed the age brackets for 2023 right now. That kids club now that it's dismissed from here is now at second grade? Second through fifth grade. So first and down all in. So you can check your first grader and down at 10 o'clock right when you get here if you'd like. Or you can take them after we do the worship singing. But the second through fifth grade is actually still going to be here with us singing. Then we'll dismiss them. To kids club. Um, so the Laytons are doing kids club today. Uh, second through fifth. Can everybody turn around and say hi Laytons. Hi Laytons. Say thank you Laytons. So they're teaching the second through fifth. Before we dismiss them. All those second through fifth graders. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just do something. Will you come right up here. And all y'all sit. Just sit on this first row. Just come on up here. Come on. Before you go. Before you go. Just come and just sit up here. It'll be worth your while. Just come and just sit down before we dismiss. Just sit right here this first. There you go. Just sit down right here, right here. There you go. Sit down. Sit down. Y'all know how to sit, right? 
It's complicated to sit down. All right, come on, have a seat, have a seat, sit down, have a seat. Is it bright here? Yes. It's very bright. Does it feel hot? No. No, it will in a minute. <laughs> okay, real quick before you go, I want to do something that people, Christians for a long time have done with their kids, right? Is they've had these things where they ask their kids questions and teach them about what God's like, right? Okay, I'm going to do something. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to give you the answer. Do y'all like being given an answer to a question? Isn't that good? Okay. So, let me ask you this question. What is God? What is God? Now, let me give you the answer. Oh, oh, you already have it? Tell us. What is God? Someone who can do anything. Can y'all give a clap for that? Is that good? Someone who can do anything. So, what do we got? The person who created everything. Amen? What is God? Anybody else got another answer? Different answer? Hey, y'all actually did really good. What is God? God is the creator of everything, of everyone and everything. Y'all did great. God is the creator of everyone and everything. All right. What is God? He is the creator of everyone and everything. Let's try this real quick. What is God? He's the creator of everyone and everything. What is God? Everything. What is God? What is God? Everything. What is God? What is God? Can y'all give them a hand? Okay, y'all are dismissed. I'm going to have a treat for you later for doing that, all right? You're dismissed. I'm going to tell you what that was all about. Y'all did so awesome. I'm going to tell them what that was all about here in a minute. Take your Bible, go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We've been in a message, a series, over the last uh, couple of months. It's called the Gospels, uh, Discipleship Through the Gospels. And you might be going, well, we're in the book of Acts. That means we must be done with that series. No, we're not. We're going to come back to it. But something I started last year, and I plan, Lord willing, to do that each year, is to have a time where we walk back through what it means to be a member of Carville Bible Church in January and walk through our membership statement, then help the church body understand what this actually means. I'm discovering that sometimes we forget things. Even though we, we rehearse it with the body, right? When someone joins, I find sometimes we need to push the pause and go back to it. So what we're going to do is, we're going to for the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a look at church membership at Carville Bible Church, what our church membership um, Declaration of membership, what our, I sometimes you'll hear me call it the covenant, right? What, we, what you've agreed to when you're a member of Collierville Bible Church. My hope is this, that as you go into 2023, and I plan to do this in 2024, I actually did it in 2022, um, but I only did it one message in 2022 because I wanted to finish Minor Prophets in the month of January, right? So I only had one message. We're going to have a couple here. Uh, when I say a couple, I mean three. So a couple sounded better than three, but... Now I already gave myself away. It could be. No, I can't go four because we'll start working Sermon on the Mount um, at the end here. So that part of the gospel. So if you're going to have a gospel, you're going to do the gospels, you've got to do Sermon on the Mount somewhere. So here's one of the things that over the next couple of weeks you'll hear me talk a little bit about. And it's called catechism, right? Catechizing. Now, for a lot of us, that's a foreign word. 
But what it really just means is like you're teaching, you're teaching, right? And it, this is something in my own personal life um, I've been weak about in my discipleship. I've been weak about. I've only kind of circled it, um, but I haven't really given myself to it enough. But I kind of purposed in the month of January, I was going to do a couple things. I was going to kind of hone down on reading uh, some Puritan stuff, especially I wanted to spend some time reading about a guy named Richard Baxter. Um, Richard Baxter, who was a Puritan pastor in the 1600s. And just so you know, sometimes when people hear Puritans, they think, oh, these were the killjoys. No, they were not, right? Um, they loved God, loved God a lot. But he was a Puritan pastor. Um, you've probably heard a guy named Charles Spurgeon. Have you ever heard a guy named Charles Spurgeon? Raise your hand if you've heard a guy named Charles Spurgeon. Oh, good, okay. Now, raise your hand if you've heard of a guy named Richard Baxter. Just a couple, okay? So Charles Spurgeon, often called the Prince of Preachers, right? Have you heard that before? Richard Baxter is known as the Prince of Pastors. Let me tell you something about Richard Baxter, about his life and ministry that has been convicting me. And in the fall, um, just in one of the classes I teach um, over at Mid-America, uh, one of the classes I teach is called the History of the Biblical Counseling Movement. And there was one section where I talk about Richard Baxter, and he wrote probably one of the best biblical counseling books ever, a Christian directory, right? Um, I actually was going to bring it in here, but I left it in another vehicle um, it's mammoth, but it's probably one of the best counseling books you'll ever have. Well, um, just, you know, teaching on his life again, it's like something struck me um, that retake a look at some of the things about Richard Baxter. And one of the interesting things about Richard Baxter, this Puritan pastor, he pastored a church in a parish called Kidderminster for about two decades. Um, and that that place, that parish was known as very ungodly. People weren't interested in the Lord. And after two decades, it was considered to be one of the most spiritual places you could go in England, right? And one of the things they attributed to, of course, the Word of God, the working of the Holy Spirit, but the ministry of Richard Baxter. And one of the things Richard Baxter did is two days a week, um, he would spend visiting the people in his church. He visited everybody in his church every year. Right now, daunting, but he did it. Now, granted, it was a different time frame. Um, basically, most people weren't from their home in Kidderminster. Most were in some kind of carpentry kind of work. So most worked from their home. So he could kind of start one. He could start at the beginning of the day, and typically in one day he could get in eight to ten families. But what was more interesting was not as much how he did it, but really the purpose of those visits. When he would make those visits he would bring a catechism, right? He would bring this question and answer. Now, he, in some of the stuff I've read, he kind of had, had his own, but also a lot of it was based off of what's called the Westminster uh, Catechism, right? And we'll, we'll maybe talk more about that. But the word catechism, it just means teach. It's like you're teaching. So what just happened when you saw the kids? I, taught, I asked them a question and then got an answer and then made sure all of them got that answer. And you may think, like, well, big deal about that. Actually, for some of the most robust times of Christianity, that has been a focus of a church and a home, has been to catechize the children. Um, Meaning that you're teaching them who God is, you're teaching them core doctrinal beliefs, and you're doing it in such a way that it's question, short answer, question, short answer. And you're doing it in kind of a Deuteronomy 6 way, where you're doing it as you walk, as you lay down, as you eat, it's kind of a, something that you do. Well, one of the things about Richard Baxter that was very interesting 
that when he would visit the people, he had to go visiting everybody in his church, he would always do the catechism. He would walk through these questions and their answers. And where they did not have a robust, where they could not, did not have the answer, that was a, a place that he would actually work. And he really did this catechism because he was really wanting people to be doctrinally strong, but also at the same time, get this, he used it as a platform for salvation, right? He used it, and we'll talk about that more later. So it's really said that when you look at all the places, especially in the Puritan times where the gospel grew and the people grew in holiness and worship of the Lord, Kidderminster was one of the model parishes that that happened, and they attribute it to the consistent catechizing from a pastor to his people and from a people to their children. In fact, Richard Baxter, although a single man during this time, of course, you might be wondering, how did he do that? Well, he was a single man uh, during that time frame. Um, by the way, maybe I'll tell you later, he did get married later on, um, you know, but uh, during that time he wasn't. But I will tell you this, and when you look in church history, Kidderminster during that time was considered a model of what could the gospel do if core doctrine was taught to the people in such a way that they could replicate it? So they catechized. So what I did this morning is I was just using something called the New City Catechism. It's 52 questions meant to kind of a question a week, and you work on it with your kids. And, and uh, what's really interesting about this one is, you notice the question I asked, what is God? God is the creator of everyone and everything. Uh, that's like the short answer to this. There's a longer one for like older kids. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. What's really cool about this one is it's highlighted for just that part portion that I went over with these. It's highlighted to give you the shorter Part for littler kids and longer for like older kids and adults and stuff. But what I was doing actually this morning, briefly, was just a catechism, just core truth. Now you might be thinking to yourself, big deal. Well, I, I, I'll tell you this. Richard Baxter, in his ministry, believed that one of the main things you've got to do is help people come to faith in Christ, Right? He believed that God was in complete control. God completely elected. He believed it was all in God's hands. But he also believed that there was a faithfulness that you needed to have. And that one of the ways to actually do that, to spread the gospel, was to catechize. Let me read you a story that's very interesting. Um, so, by the way, this is just one of many. Um, this one's called the New City Catechism. Um, I like it. It's good. There's like two places where I could really kind of draw a line through the answer for a couple words. It's like, I don't like it. I'm too Baptistic for that, right? But the rest of it, really good. But so this one was done in 2017, and this was basically an attempt by Tim Keller and uh, the Gospel Coalition uh, group to kind of make uh, catechism accessible again to people who are very unfamiliar with it, right? Now, there's something in this that strikes me. It's Tim Keller's wife, Kathy Keller. She wrote something that I think, really, just studying the life of Richard Baxter again and just being brought to the idea that this guy... I mean, it, and by the way, the Puritans were big on this kind of thing. Like, they'd have church, and it was not uncommon that sometime that day you would, you know, go to catechism, right? You would learn catechism. You would learn these core truths, right? Now, 
If you've got something like the Westminster Catechism, you have a longer one and a shorter one. They typically have more questions than 52. This is just one they've kind of made accessible with kind of 52 core uh, catechism questions. But here's what Kathy Keller has to say about catechism. So just to understand, there's all sorts of different types of catechisms out there, right? Now, here's one thing she said. Catechism with our kids, question mark. Years ago, that was my response when someone suggested that we begin doing catechism with our very young, very active boys, she said. To my amazement, it was truly a wonderful experience. By the way, I'll just tell you this. The first time I heard about the word catechism, it, it wasn't in my fundamental independent Baptist college, just, you know, training, because I I mean, just tell you, like, more Baptistic people typically don't like this, right? It, it often gets associated with more Catholic or Lutheranism or things that are a little different from more of our non-denominational kind of world. But here's what she said. I remember first hearing it, and I didn't even know what it was. I heard it when I was taking classes for my master's degree because uh, there were several Presbyterian people that were there. We use the catechism for our young children, a highly simplified version based on the Westminster Shorter Catechism, she said. The first questions are very easy and the answer is so short that even an 18-month-old can answer triumphantly, God. When asked, who made you and everything, to the second question, what else did God make? We discovered that our kids love the question and answer dynamic. To them, it had almost become a game through which they could experience a legitimate sense of achievement. My first encounter with teaching a catechism to children was even more counterintuitive. As a seminary student, she said, I spent one summer working for a church in a gang-infested part of Philadelphia. When I heard of a young pastor in an even more troubled area of the city who had developed a very successful ministry to children, it met on Saturdays and attracted hundreds of elementary and middle school children. I decided to go see the program in action. I'm not sure what I expected, she said. Warm-hearted volunteers dispensing Kool-Aid, hugs, and Jesus stories. What I found to my to my slack-jawed amazement, was a building with more than 200 kids in it, divided by age groups, learning the catechism. I must admit that very few things have surprised me more. I had never given a thought to the catechism as a modern-day teaching tool, and even if I had, it would not have occurred to me to use it in these circumstances. The pastor was used to the shock, disbelief, and surprise questions. What on earth are you... Um, why on earth are you having them memorize catechism? Don't they need the basic gospel message? When do they get that? I still have not forgotten his answer. Here was his answer to her. These kids know nothing whatsoever about God or Jesus or sin. They've never even heard the words except as curse words. We're building a framework in their minds of words and ideas and concepts so that when we do tell them about sin and the Savior who came to die for it, there's a way for them to understand what we are saying. I went away chastened, she said, but not entirely convinced. Maybe so, but it still seems so, so medieval to have children memorizing the catechism. No matter how, de no matter how deprived their spiritual education had been. A few weeks later, I changed my mind. So what's interesting is doing actual ministry to these kids in a gang-infested area. When you look at the Puritans, they, that's actually one of the main things. They, they trained their people, even fathers. Fathers, 
we talk about fathers leading their family in worship and devotion. And, and I think one of the things we do bad as a church, and, and man, put this on me, it's almost like a guy gets defeated and thinks, well, I don't have a seminary education, so I can't do that. I get lost in a text. And when really, what if we just train parents to use a simple catechism as a way of discipling their kids? What if we did that? So a catechism is just taking core teaching elements. So this is one that, you know, there's core questions like, how can we glorify God? What else did God create? How many persons are there in the Godhead, right? Just questions, but stuff that through history have been used. So I was brought to this guy, Richard Baxter, and knowing that I was coming into this time of the year that I planned to kind of talk to our church about church membership and the importance of it, the very first two things on our membership have to do with kind of more of a salvation and growth in Christ. And I started to think to myself, I know that we've got, like my greatest fear, one of my greatest fears is we can have people raised in our church and not know Jesus. It's a big fear. And I wonder sometimes, I hear this story all the time. Raised up in church, raised up in church, raised up in church, raised up in church. And then you'll hear them go, I mean, and you're thinking, was the gospel message never told and taught? And I don't think that's true. But I wonder sometimes. The Puritans used a catechism so much that it laid a framework for the gospel message for those young, tender souls as they grew into maturity. And I wonder, as a pastor, been here for 10 years, like, man, have we missed that? Like, like, is that, is that why sometimes we see unbelief? Is that sometimes when we, why we see some youth when they graduate from the youth department, they graduate from their faith? Like, do, have we not undergirded them with, with an idea that, that they basically understand the core teachings of who God is in such a way that they could produce and reproduce it? Have we not taught them in a question-answer format that has laid a great foundation? These are just questions I'm going through my own soul as we preach this series. But I will tell you this. Pray for me. Pray that the Lord would give me a vision for how could this be dispensed to our people in such a way that it can be used in their homes. How can, how can husbands and how can wives, how can parents be equipped in such a way to categorize, to use catechism as a, just one more tool in the toolbox of actually discipling their kids? How can we as a church... Actually, look at that. How can we as elders even look at something like that? How can we help people? You know, it's interesting. When I look at the ministry of Richard Baxter, he'd visit his people. And here's one of the things when you read, um, reading a book um, that's called The Reformed Pastor. It's by Richard Baxter. It's kind of one of those pastoral books. Um, and I was in the third section yesterday, and he said something that was very interesting. Most Puritan pastors wouldn't have said this, but he did. He said... Basically, here's the gist of it. He says, if you've got a week and you're going to either spend time categorizing your people or working on your message, do the people first. If you have less time to prepare the message and preach the message and basically have to go up there not as well prepared, do that. Because the personal ministry you do sitting down with people will have a bigger impact for the platform of the, the, of, the, of the public preaching. Now, just so you know, that is not a typical Puritan response. But this is a man, and have you not seen this sometimes? You've been in church for years, for years, for years. But you sit down with a sister, 
And that sister in Christ says something that probably was said in 15 sermons throughout the last 15 years, but somehow, because of that interpersonal moment, you caught it, right? Have you ever been there, seen that, done that, seen and experienced that? So I wonder. So we talk about membership. I want to encourage um, you to pray for me, to pray for our church, and for me to kind of go, what would it look like if in the next 10 years, that's kind of a long time, but just hang with me, if the Lord gives me another 10 years here, what would it look like to do better about helping our people know how to actually teach their children in such a way that the children had a core foundation and it was something fun and it was something spiritually reviving? What if even for the people of the church? Now, next week, I'll get into some of the doctrinal statements of our church. But, you know, it's really interesting. I, I can bet you some of us who've joined, you know, if, um, if, if we put the doctrinal statement up, you could say, yes, I agree with that. But sometimes I wonder if the average church member were questioned about the theology of that statement of faith, could they actually have a good answer? Well, if they are catechized, if there's catechism, they actually would. So, Daniel, will you put up for me on the board? I want to do two things, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. And you'll hear more about this over the next couple of weeks, about church membership. And um, here's the first thing. Um, a member of Carville Bible Church, um, by the way, just put this out there. It is God's will that every Christian be a member of a church. I'm going to say it again. It is God's will that every Christian be a member of a church. That's what God wants. I got one amen, right? I'll say it again. It is God's will that every Christian be a member of a church. Amen. Okay, good. Okay. I thought I was on my own island back over here, okay? And here's what I mean. It's really interesting in the scriptures. Each church has a lot of maneuverability on um, the processes of someone becoming a church member. When I cut my teeth in fundamental independent Baptist world, you became a member by us singing just as I am, and you walked an aisle, you said I wanted to be a member, we wrote a card, we told the church they're a member, Right? Uh, our church has a, a process, and that's actually changed through the years. So like, you come to Discovery, we go through our teaching, what we believe, and you, then we hear your testimony and faith. All right, If you're a Christian, we present you to the membership. Um, there have been some times when you look back, I can't remember, but it was actually several, several meetings in our earlier days, if you want to become a member. What was it, George? Was it, or Tom, y'all might remember. It was somewhere of like five to five to eight or ten meetings that you went to. It was... A lot of questions, a lot of questions. So every church has some flexibility, but it's God's will that you be a member of a church. It's God's will that you be a member of a church where you can be submissive to the pastors and elders of that church and that you can be responsible for the body of Christ in that church. That's God's will for everybody. That's what God wants. But there's two prerequisites that we see in the scriptures that I would say need to be there if you are going to be a member of a church, right? And the first is this, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and have publicly declared this confession by being baptized, right? That's, that's, two, that's two right there. So when you look at our declaration of membership, it says, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. There are seven things. And number two, it says, I have publicly declared this confession by being baptized. When you look at Acts chapter two, you find that now this church didn't have it wasn't a, you know, come to a discovery class, right? 
It was the Holy Spirit moved, people got saved, baptized, added to the church, right? Not wrong to have a membership class. Actually, I think it's really good because most people don't know. I mean, it always kind of was a quandary to me when people would join back in my fundamental independent days. They'd join our church, but they didn't even know the name of the pastor yet, right? They just, you know, thought everybody was nice and it was a good sermon. And so I always thought, man, it'd probably be really great if you knew a little bit about who you're going to make an agreement with, right? So I confess the Lord in our church, and we believe these are scriptural. I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And number two, I have publicly declared this confession by being baptized. Now let me read for you three through seven, and we'll look at three through seven in the next two weeks. Number three is, I affirm the Collierville Bible Church statement of faith as a declaration of truth as taught in the scriptures. I wonder if we catechize better. Would there be a better understanding of that? Would that have a better weight? Number four, I aspire to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord as taught in the scriptures. Number five, I appeal to the membership of Collierville Bible Church to hold me accountable to the truth and manner of life as taught in the scriptures. The really great thing about Richard Baxter that we read his ministry, if you attended his church, you didn't qualify for any kind of redemptive discipline. If you, you had to be a member of his church if redemptive discipline was going to be a grace that would be useful for your life. Let me tell you why many reasons why everybody should be a member of a local church, a biblically sound, gospel-centered, biblical, local New Testament church. I would say this. One, because of what God commands, but I would say this. I would be fearful not to be a member of a church, especially a church that doesn't believe in redemptive discipline. Because, I mean, you have no... You have no safety net if your depravity gets out of hand. And if you don't think your depravity can get out of hand, then you're just not taking an honest assessment and examination of your own life. It's like, it's a, like I would never, for myself, I would never join a church if it didn't have discipline. Like if you're ever going to join a church, one of the things you want to ask, among many things, not only their belief statements, but you want to ask, hey, tell me about church discipline, redemptive, tell me about, do y'all do it? Do y'all believe in it? What's the process? And they look at you and go, whoa. That's just puritanical Old Testament, like legalism. We don't do that kind of stuff. Run, right? That church will not help you in your marriage when one of you goes astray. That church will not help you if you go astray. That church will not be able to help you if, if you and another brother in Christ have some kind of problem or falling out. That church won't intercede and try to bring reconciliation. Run from that church. Next on our... Declaration membership, it says, I dedicate myself to the earthly mission of making disciples. I will seek out lost people, help them receive Jesus as Savior, assist them to be conformed to his likeness, encourage them to be effectively engaged in his service. One of the things I was really astounded by the ministry of Richard Baxter is one of the, the I mean, he was very careful to teach people catechism so that people could actually do catechism everywhere else, right? So if you're kind of like, man, I don't have a discipleship playbook. I wouldn't even know what to do with somebody. Well, what if someone had a playbook they went through with you? And like, for instance, what if, what if you went through New City Catechism and you're wondering, like, I've got this person who's far from God. I don't know really how to help them. You could actually go through catechism with them. So it was an amazing part of discipleship. Number seven, I pledge to protect the unity of the church and to support this fellowship financially in prayer. And we added this. With my physical presence, right? We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. So that's our whole declaration of membership, what someone says 
when they become a member of Carville Bible Church. But I want to look at the first two. I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I have publicly declared this confession by being baptized. Look at Acts chapter 2. I want to read something for you. So Acts chapter 2, and we'll actually start in verse 36. Would you stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word? Would you stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word? I'm reading from the what's called the Legacy Standard Version. Um, it's, it's probably one of the most literal versions now. It's in the if you've got an NASB, it tracks well with it. If you've got any kind of um, literal version Bible like King James, ESV, it tracks very close to it as well. The staging and setting for this is the Holy Spirit has descended. Peter is preaching. Jewish people are coming to know the Lord. Verse 36, it says this. Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. So the story in the setting, he's telling these Jewish people, this Jesus you crucified, he is Lord and Christ. The Holy Spirit has descended. The Holy Spirit is working. Everybody's hearing their, everybody's hearing their, um, the gift of tongues is spreading for evangelism. People are hearing the gospel message in their own languages, even though there's so many different languages in Jerusalem at the time. Now we'll just read through verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many the Lord our God will call to himself. And many other words he solemnly bore witness and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this crooked generation. So then those who had received the word were baptized. And on that day were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things common. And they began selling their property and possessions and divided them up um, with all as anyone might have need. And daily devoting themselves with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. I just want to ask God to to help shine his light on this text. Now we're going to talk about this text. Father, would you send send the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, your ministry of shining light on this text that we could understand what the original recipients understood the application you want us to make? And how do we even see the idea of salvation and baptism as an essential prerequisite to all true church membership? God, let us capture that. And that there's someone who has not come to Christ, may today be their day. Would you do it in Jesus' name? Amen.
So church membership, we see in the text, I want to point out a couple of things. Now, when you're studying the book of Acts, I want you to understand the book of Acts is descriptive of what God was doing in the early church. Be careful to ever treat it as prescriptive, right? It's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. Now, if there's anything God has prescribed in the book of Acts, you'll see it played out in the rest of the New Testament. You'll see it, right? So we see people getting baptized. We see people getting baptized and commanded in the rest of Scripture, so that's good. But we see, we see people using spiritual gifts in different ways. This is a transitionary book. So just be careful that you don't always put everything as this is a book of prescription. It's describing what God is doing. Luke is being a great historian here. But a couple of things I want to point out to you that's essential in the text. And that is, we see that there's church membership here. Look in verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. They were added to the church. They were added to something. Now, just because it doesn't say the word church, just, by the way, do we all realize this? Have you ever noticed the Bible doesn't say everything the way you think it should say it? Have you all noticed that? But the clear, the, it's clear that they're being added to the body, right? There was 120 Holy Spirit descends, people get saved, baptized, it's being added. Go down to verse 47. They were praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number daily those who are being saved. So we see that there's the church is adding people to it. And one of the things, the type of people that, that is being added to the church in verse 47 are those who are being saved. Verse 44 all those who had believed. We see in verse 41, it says, and those who had received the word. A person who is saved is a person who has received the word of God. Jesus is the true word. The person who is saved has believed that they're a sinner and believed that the only solution to sin and man's rebellion is Jesus. A saved person is the one who believes. He says in verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. So when we say the word saved, there's other words that describe that experience, what that is, or what that, you know, you've got words like repent. Repent means a change of heart or a change on the inside, right? Only God can do it. You have words like receive the word. You have words like believe. You have words like save. Save's a good word. It's a Bible word, right? These are all words denoting that basically... Number one on our confession of membership is, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That's a part of membership. Now, I can tell you this. If you've accepted, if you've trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you are a candidate. If you're 18 years old, you're a candidate for membership at Carville Bible Church. You might say, why is a person who's under 18 not available for membership? You're almost kind of like membership by family. Because honestly, your parents are the ones who are actually responsible for the discipline of your life, right? That's, that's why basically you can't be a member. We don't do membership for you until you're 18. But here's one of the things. If you're 18, now you're, you're, you're responsible for yourself before the Lord. And we actually want to encourage you. You actually need to go through the processes of membership at Collierville Bible Church. That's what God would want you to do, right? God would want you to now... You're now transitioning from this idea of mom and dad's authority. You're transitioning into the world of, okay, now God is my sole authority, and I'm going to work through the graces that God has given his local church. Oh, we got a question. Well, let's take it then. Christopher. Christopher. 
Amen. Amen. Are you asking us a question? Say that again. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So for you online, the question that Christopher is asking is, what if your parents ask you to do something that is against God, right? Then you always obey God and not your parents in that. I'll give you an example. If your parents tell you, do not trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you disobey them. You do. And by the way, man, they're they're not, I mean, if they say, if you, I mean, if your parents ask you to sin, you can never actually honor them in that. In fact, you'd be dishonoring them by sinning, right? Actually, the way you honor them is actually to obey God. That's the greatest way. But we have in our church that once you're 18, you become a member because really at that point, you're starting in our culture, you're transitioning to this idea of even the government realizes it. Now you're responsible for yourself. Your parents are no longer responsible. Your parents aren't being held liable for what you do in life. It's now on you. So that's why we kind of have that. Now, the, the biggest thing about being a member of a church is that you actually have to be saved. Now notice the name of our church is Carville Bible Church. That's not a denomination, by the way. We're not part of the official Bible denomination. But what Bible is telling you is that the Bible is the final authority on on our church, right? That's the final authority. And when you read the Bible, when you look at the Bible, this whole book is a story. And this whole story is really pointing to Jesus Christ, right? In many different ways, and I don't have time to express it all, but in many different ways, everything in this book is actually pointing to the centerpiece of God's redemptive plan, Jesus Christ, right? And so if you're a church of the book, then you're a church that believes people must repent of their sinfulness, place their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And you believe that if people don't do that, if that does not take place, that when their life is over, they will spend their eternity in a place called hell, experiencing the wrath of God, experiencing the justice that their sins deserve. That's, that's the truth. That's why we need to be saved. So a Bible church believes that. We see that even here. We see that people had to repent. We see people had to be saved, had to receive the word, had to believe. Verse 47, had to be saved. The question is this, if, if you want to be a member of Carville Bible Church, the question is, are you saved? Are you a Christian? So, and many of you know my testimony, and I hope I say it so much that you know it, you can correct me. Actually, someone did this past year. I said, I said that I became a Christian at 15, and someone corrected me later and said, no, it was actually 16. And I was like, good job! Like, that, that tells me I've been talking enough about what Jesus has been doing. So in my, in my life, I was reading the book of Romans. I guess you could say that's my own catechism, right? I mean, it was just God's providence. I was reading the book of Romans, going to church, hearing the message, and finally it was like this light bulb moment. Now, everybody's is different, but this is for me. I understood that I was not good enough. I didn't have enough good to outweigh my bad. In fact, I wasn't good at all. I, was, I wanted my elbow room from a holy God. I had lied, I had lusted, I had coveted, I committed idolatry, I was a sinner who if I got what I deserved, I'd get hell. Then all of a sudden, 
I was ready to receive the grace of God. All of a sudden, I was ready to go, but that's the reason Jesus came. He took my judgment in my place. And by faith, reading the book of Romans, it was like uh, I called out to the Lord. I remember it right on my parents' tan couch going like, now I get it. Now I get why I need a Savior. I will tell you this. Has that happened for you? It doesn't have to happen that way. If you were raised up in church, there might be, you might find it hard to pin down that exact moment in time. But I will say this, where you're at now, do you place all your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross? Or are you using other things to say you're saved? Here's some things I hear people say sometimes that are not salvation, but they think it is. Some people think they're saved because they were baptized as a child. That's not salvation. Bigger discussion to have, but that's not salvation. Or you had an emotional experience. I had someone tell me one time, I said, are you saved? You're a Christian. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? And the person said, I was in a car wreck and I prayed for God to save me. I'm a Christian. And I said, well, you know, praise God. God saved you from dying in that car wreck. Awesome. But that is not salvation faith. It's not. So it's not an emotional response or experience or crying tears. Although sometimes when a person comes to faith in Christ, they may be crying tears. Sometimes they may not. There is no prerequisite on that. The, we try to place too much on emotions. Emotions are a part of what God gives us, but that is not an indication of what truth is in our life. So it's not just an emotional experience or being saved from a bad experience. It's not, and I would tell you, be cautious. Sometimes people will say, I'll, you'll ask the question, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? And they'll say, well, my parents told me he is. My parents told me I prayed a prayer at five years old. And I would say this, okay. If that happened and that was true and authentic, let me ask you this. What does the fruit of your life look like, right? I've met too many people living like hell, right? Living, I mean, just living all for self. And they'll point back and go, no, uh, Jesus is mine. I was saved and baptized. My mom told me about it. I would go, man, you're going to take that kind of gamble? I mean, chances are, friend, you you may not be his. Now, I've met people who would say, you know what, I, I don't, my mom told me that, that when I was young, I made a profession of faith, but I was so young, I can't remember. But I can see the evidence in my life today. I am trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. You know what I'd say to that person? You may have gotten saved at that point. Or maybe at some later point, but let's do this. You love him today, praise God, and have you been following him in obedience today? Sometimes I hear this, and this is the big one, I think. I believe in God. Are you saved? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Are you a Christian? Are you saved? Do you believe? And they'll say, I believe in God. I believe in God. You know, the Bible says the devils believe in God as well. A belief, a general belief in God. All men actually believe there is a higher sustaining power than them. No man who is actually being honest with himself, I think, can actually say that according to Scripture. So it's not just a general belief in God. It's what do you believe about the redemptive work of the second person of the Trinity, God's Son, Jesus. Some people would say, I'm saved because I'm a good person. I do good things. That's great that you do good things, but good things will not get you into heaven. I've heard some people say, well, I go to confession. I confess my sins to a priest, and the priest has told, has told me that my sins are forgiven. They gave, me, uh, they gave me a prescription of what to do next. I would say that's not salvation. Some people have said, well, I attend church. I'm a member of a church. That is not salvation. The sad thing is there's many that are in this room today that probably are not saved. 
We, why is that? Because we're evangelicals. We know the terminology. We know the language. We, we can kind of play it off. But my question is this. Are you saved? Are you saved? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Not just a Savior that you believe died for your sins, but do you believe He's died for your sins because you deserve the judgment of God? And not only that, is He now your King? See, I used to think, earlier in my early years of working out as a pastor or working out theology as a pastor, I used to think Jesus could be your Savior but not your Lord, that you can split those two. But the truth is you can't. There's a lot of people running around saying Jesus is their Savior, and they're saying, yeah, but He's not my Lord, I don't obey Him. And I would say, if Jesus is your Savior in the Scripture, that means He's also your Lord. That doesn't mean perfection, but what it does mean is there has to be some desire to follow him, some desire to do what he wants you to do, not because doing gives you any, earns you any merit before God. Doing is just a result of what God has actually put on your account by his own merit. Are you saved? Now, some people now, so so some would say, what right do you have as a church, as a body of elders to say, to be a member, you must profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I would say many texts, but we're just in Acts chapter two. We see it clearly. Only ones added to the church in the text are those that are saved, that believe, that have repented. Only those, right? Only those. Don't worry, that moth isn't going to bite you, right? <laughs> You're going to be okay. Church moth, right? You'll be all right. You might be thinking, do people ever get saved late in life? Yeah. Actually, the church that I cut my teeth in and first started going to, the pastor's wife, one Sunday we were there. And this is actually really, I think, a beautiful because I started going to church at 15. Y'all know the story, right? When I started going to church at 15, they told me, ask Jesus as your Savior, you'll go to hell. And I was thinking, if that's all it is, that's what I'm going to do, right? So I remember during, during whatever time we were, you know, no telling how many times we sung Just As I Am that Sunday, right? We were singing it. I went right up front, got down on my knee. Pastor comes right by me. And he's like, why have you come, son? I need to ask Jesus as my Savior. He said, okay, go for it. Uh, Jesus be my Savior. Is this, did I do it right? Did I do the ritual? Did I, the handshake transact right? He gives me a thumbs up. I'm, I'm good to go. I get the cross necklace the next week, the gold cross necklace, like I'm ready to go, right? But the truth is, I, I really didn't know what I was being saved from. I, I wasn't even, I, think, I couldn't even recognize I was a sinner. I still thought I was just a good enough person to be saved. I just needed to do some religious ritual, right, to appease God. So I remember going to church from that time, reading the book of Romans, but every time we'd sing Just As I Am, it's like my, like we'd had this invitation, and this would be me on the back of the pew just kind of clenching it. And I remember thinking, I don't actually think I'm saved. I may have went up there and we may have told the church and I got the cross gold necklace, but I don't think I'm actually saved. Like something, I missed something. I don't know what I missed, but God, show me. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Kept going to church, kept reading, kept reading the book of Romans by God's providence and sovereignty and later became a Christian. But during that time frame, something interesting happened. The pastor of the church, right? One Sunday, somewhere in that time frame, he gets up and he says, hey, we got some news for you. My wife, Dana, has become a Christian. I remember us going like, wait a minute. 
I thought pastors' wives were supposed to be saved. Like, I thought that was kind of part of the interview process. Like, isn't that normal? Like, you know, like, what, what, what we missed here? And I can remember thinking, like, you mean you can verbally profess Jesus, but not actually have had an authentic faith in Jesus? And you mean that can happen? And so instantly, it was actually a delight to my soul because then I thought, well, I'm not the only one. Because at that point, I wanted to say something, but I didn't want to embarrass myself. I didn't, I, I didn't want to feel stupid. Does anybody make sense? Does that make sense? I will tell you this. Maybe you have a profession of faith, but you can say today that profession of faith was just a religious ritual that meant nothing. Then maybe today is your day of salvation. Maybe God wants you to do some business today. He wants you to call out to him, come to faith in him. That's why we say, I confess Jesus is my Lord and Savior as a part of membership. Did you know that even pastors can get saved who aren't saved? You know, you can go through Bible college and seminary. In our very own city, I think it's been about four or five years ago, there was a church, a Baptist church in town, um, where a pastor got up to his congregation and said to them, Guys, the Lord has revealed to me um, that I actually was not a Christian. And I became a Christian this week. Now, you may think, like, how did that happen? It happens very easily. I mean, if you're raised up in church, you're raised up around it, you can, I mean, you can go to seminary, you can get a Bible college education, you can read the Bible. I mean, that doesn't mean you're saved. Profess Jesus as a Savior. Now, I want to do this. Hopefully, we're not going to turn this into four, but I've reached about the end of my preaching time. We'll hit baptism next week because I really want to end with this. The most important thing in Richard Baxter's ministry, over and over, he kept emphasizing this fact that the number one thing that a pastor must do is make sure that his people are saved. That's why he went through catechism, right? Made sure that they knew who the one true God was, knew who Jesus was. Lay that would. Why did he visit family after family after family after family? Because he wanted to ask them questions and make sure that the most important decision in their life was made. If there's something that they missed or they didn't know or something hadn't been caught, he wanted to make sure that they knew that they knew. So as I end today, I want to pray for us. If you're here and you're not sure that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you've got some confusion, you walked in here this way, I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out, tell you to raise your hand or anything like that. Nothing's wrong with that, but I just want to pray a prayer for you. And then you may be here and you're saying, you're describing me. I, I've not, I've been holding this off, but I now need to confess that I'm not a believer, but I am now. Like I've come to believe this morning. I've come to know that it just wasn't me. Like I've not trusted in life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus for salvation. Today's my day. I want to pray for you as well. And then I want to challenge you to do this. The worst thing you can do is keep silent. The best thing you can do is as soon as we say the amen, or we're taking our meal, start telling people. If you came to faith today, tell us at the edification time, right? Take communion with us. Come and talk to me. Let's plan baptism. We'll talk about baptism more. I'll give you next week's sermon already, right? We'll help you. Would you stand to your feet with me? And I want to pray. Worship team, you can make your way up here.
Let's bow our heads together. Actually, I want to do this. If you won't get back up off the floor, don't do this. Okay? But if you have healthy knees, will you get on your knees right now? But listen, not if you got, you know, if like we're going to hear cracks, don't get on your knee, right? Just sit down. Right? If you have healthy knees. And I want to do this. I want to do two things together. One, I want to beg God to bring those who are here who are not in Christ to faith today. I want to beg God to do that. Can we get on our knees together and do this? I do not know who's here who is far from God, does not have saving faith, is not resting alone in the finished work of Christ. I do not know who's here that has never been confronted with their rebellion and sin and unholiness before a holy God. I don't know who's here. And maybe today they realize they do deserve hell. They do deserve the wrath of God. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Eternity is real. And Jesus is God's, is God's solution. Maybe today they're realizing this. I can't save them. God, only you can. Only you can call them. In fact, they're so lost, they don't even have it within themselves. Only you can convict them of their sin. Show them your righteousness. If there be somebody, and I couldn't, maybe it's not if, whoever there is, online or in here, how would you save them today? Would you let them realize their need for a Savior? Would you let them call out in faith? Would you do what only you can do? I can't tell the... I, I can't control where the wind blows. I can't control what your Holy Spirit does. But we can ask. If there's children here today who've been on the brink, may today be their day of salvation. If there's adults, may today be their day of salvation. If there's people online, may today be their day of salvation. God, save them. God, bring them to you. God, let us get up off our knees in a moment and may those people declare to people the wonder of what you've done. May those people follow you in believers' baptism. May those people take communion with us today. May those people declare freely, like, like those at the temple who, like Anna and Simeon, about who you are. May today be their day of salvation. Would you let them reject the greatest lie that Satan would want to tell them is wait? Would you let them reject that false, that false narrative, wait. Today is the day of salvation. Save these people. Save them. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship together and keep saying in a spirit of prayer for those who are far from God.